For a second time, we look forward to opening thy word together, to meditate on its precepts, and to think about thee. Time spent in meditation on thee is never wasted, Heavenly Father, and we pray now for a rich blessing of thy good and Holy Spirit upon us as we would look into thy word. We want to pray for those that are struggling, Heavenly Father, those that are dealing with uh, illness, those that have chronic conditions, those that are perhaps running from thee even and need the, the goad, the sharp point of thy Holy Spirit prodding them back to thee that they would not kick against the pricks but would turn in submission unto thee. Be with us now as we look into thy word and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I've opened to the 15th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. I'd like to read a portion of that. Romans chapter 15. Let's begin reading at the first verse. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, 
that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I dare not, for I will not dare to speak of, of any of, let me try that again. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But, as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This chapter is the final section of the book of Romans, and the chapter that follows is the many um, commendations and greetings that Paul uh, gives through this letter. It talks about a, a period of time in Paul's life of which we actually know very little. He talks about a journey into Spain, and uh, we expect that he did accomplish that, though we don't know much in terms of details about what happened uh, on that journey. It's thought that uh, that journey occurred between his imprisonments, that he had been released, he was set at liberty, he was able then to go to Spain, but then ended up being taken once again, and then finally dying under Roman custody. But he reminds us of some things in this last section of this letter that are timeless and don't depend on the details of his life. He begins by saying, we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. The interesting thing about scripture, and there are other places in scripture that talk about the strong brother and the weak brother, The scripture doesn't tell us who is strong and who is weak. It says simply that the strong will bear the infirmities of the weak. I find that interesting because 
so often we figure we're the strong ones. And the tendency is not to bear with those that are weaker, but instead to uh, deal perhaps a little bit more harshly with them. But the Bible says that if you're strong, you should bear the infirmities of the weak. Sometimes it might be that we think we're strong, and it's actually the strong ones that are bearing our infirmities until we come to maturity ourselves. I remember something that happened years ago when I was a young Christian, and I was talking with my father and talking about differences of opinions, and at that time there was kind of the the winds of liberalism and conservatism were swirling in our circles, and, and I made a comment to my dad as a somewhat ignorant young believer. He said, be better. These people would just shape up and, 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 and get their heads right. Be more like us. And my father told me, you don't know what you're talking about. I thought, what do you mean? I mean, like, I don't think anyone's ever accused my dad of being a liberal. I said, well, what do you you mean, dad? Like, wouldn't it be better if more people had kind of a more of a conservative mindset? And he said, no. He said, we don't know what our blind spots are. We need those other people. You know, there's there's a line, a lyric in the Zion's Harp that says, only he can be a brother who helps draw love's sacred cord. That's really the mark of it. The love that you have one for another is the mark of Christ's discipleship. Not conformance to a strict set of doctrinal precepts. People never rallied around doctrine. They rallied around Christ. And we do need differences of opinion because on the one hand some may be more predisposed to order on the other hand some may be more predisposed to a to a little bit more freedom of expression and the blessed place is in a dialogue between the two because too far to one way or too far to the other will end in ruin either a lifeless orthodoxy or the church will simply blow apart because each one is pulling in a different direction Neither is what Christ had in mind. And if you think about it, the circumstances under which Paul ministered to the church are remarkable. You couldn't have found a more dissimilar group of people to bring together around one common purpose than the Jews, those that were uh, orthodox in their practice and belief, And the Gentiles in places like Corinth, which were, in the the eyes of the the conservative and orthodox Jews, hopelessly uh, loose and, and sinful. But yet God had something in mind. That through Jesus Christ, both would be welded into one body graft into one olive tree, as, Christ, as uh, Paul also says in his letter. And that's tricky. That's difficult. There are tensions 
when there are differences of opinions. And sometimes the right answer isn't always so clear. What then? The ones that are strong need to bear with the infirmities of the weak, that the Spirit can teach all what is His purpose. That's where it, it really comes together. And to me, the surprising thing in, in my relatively brief period of time as a, as a believer is how peacefully and sometimes quickly things can change when people stop pushing. When we say, you know what, brother, I believe this is right, but until the Spirit of God convicts you of the same thing, I'm not going to push. I'm going to wait until the Spirit shows you what I believe He's shown me. And I'm not willing to push ahead until He shows that to you as well. When that happens, hearts and minds change very quickly. And suddenly it becomes less about the issue because there's now a trust there. There's an understanding that this person loves me so much that even though they think they're right, they're willing to wait for me. Maybe I'm not seeing things correctly. Wherever I've seen that applied, and I've been called an idealist because I've asked for some of those things sometimes. Wherever I've seen that applied, where in an illogical way, we simply say, we're going to wait on God till God tells all of us the same thing. Or at, at the very least, that people can, in good conscience, go along with the decision. Wherever we've waited on God for that, the results have been peaceful. As some of you know, I was involved in the, uh, the project that um, eventually led to the publication of the new edition of the Zion's Harp. And because of the printing technology had changed over the years, the original printings of the Zion's Harp could no longer be used. We had to basically recreate the entire thing digitally from scratch. And uh, there were discussions then about, okay, well, here's a great time now to make some changes, to make some alterations to, uh, to, the, to, to some of the notation, maybe to some of the words. We even considered some of that. And uh, one of the things that I insisted on, <laughs> I guess, in the context of some of those original meetings is I said, you know, really, the only solution that is an acceptable solution for this printing of the Zion's Harp is going to be if the new edition is as highly regarded as the old and continues to be used as our current edition. If we produce something that is rejected, this has been not only a waste of time and money, but a, a waste of effort and a missed opportunity. So I requested that the committee, which at that time, the steering committee, I think was about a dozen people or so, I said, on any kind of major point where there may be a disagreement, I think we need to come to consensus before we can proceed. And some people thought that that was unrealistic. I mean, can't we just go with a majority? Or even how about a supermajority? Two-thirds. That should be sufficient. I mean, that's considered a landslide in political terms. And I said, no. I, I think we should stick with a consensus, and here's why. We've picked a number of different brothers and sisters on this steering committee to have input, and I believe all of them represent a viewpoint on the Zion's Heart people that are very passionate about this hymnal and 
want to see its use continued, and I believe that they're represented on this committee here. If we have one person that feels strongly about something that we can't seem to square with, they don't represent just one voice. They represent a group of our fellowship. And I think if we really want this to be blessed by God, we need to come together on this. And you know what the fascinating thing was? It worked. It worked. Every single decision that we came to where it was a major decision, consensus agreement. And sometimes the consensus looked like this. On one occasion, it was really fascinating to me. There was one member of the committee who said, I don't really like this decision, but in the interest of the group and not holding things up, I'm willing to set aside my preference and leave it so that we can move on. And so we accepted that gracefully. But you know what the interesting thing was? We ended up later on circling back to that decision and changing. We went back to that decision. We said, you know what? That one voice, that person that mentioned that one thing, they were actually right on that one. I think we need to revisit that. And so we went back and we changed it. And it was a beautiful opportunity to see how this esteeming one another higher than yourself really could work. In my opinion, it's a supernatural thing. Because now we're depending on God's spirit to change the hearts of people. It's not based on numbers. It's not based on the pressure of the crowd. It's we're saying, brother, sister, you're just as important as anyone else on this committee. You have your say. And if you feel strongly about this, we'll wait until we can come to some kind of conclusion here. So it can be done. It's never the way you'd run something in business. Certainly not the way you do things in a political party. But in the household of faith, there are other laws that are operating. And the same God that could take a, a zealot like Paul and turn him into the apostles to the Gentiles can also change the hearts of brothers and sisters that may be contrary. That's the fascinating thing that I find about the way that the Spirit of God works in the church. Which is also why, I believe, one of the reasons why Jesus Christ left behind his body here. Christ made two provisions for us. He told his disciples that it's necessary for him to go away so that the Comforter could come. But that wasn't the whole story. The Comforter was going to be God within us speaking to us. But the church, the body of Christ, was going to be God outside of us speaking to us. And the two working together were going to be sufficient. Sufficient to keep us faithful and on the right track. It's true that churches can go bad. We all know that. But where people will focus on God's word and leave aside ego and say, well, wait a minute, what does God's word say? Let's just do that. Where people will do that, miracles can happen. I would say that every true revival in the church of God has happened in that way. 
not looking to numbers, not looking to programs or personalities, but just simply, what did God say? Let's do that. And even today, if we will do that, there is no limit to what could happen. It says, for even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. I've said it before, I'll probably say it again. Offense is more often taken than it is given. So many times, bad feelings between people are based on perception. We think someone has done something to us. Or we take the actions of someone to be a slight against us. Christ never did that. Ever. Not once. The only thing that riled him up, the only thing that got him upset, was when God's honor was at stake. And even there, we need to be careful as people because I believe Christ not only was the Son of God, but he had a special perception into human nature, and he saw things for what they were. Sometimes when people claim to be upset because God's honor is at stake, it really has more to do with their honor, unfortunately. But where we don't take things upon ourselves, again, Paul, if you want to take this as as a simple guideline, the healthiest man who ever lived spiritually was Jesus Christ. And the healthiest disciple that ever lived, I think, was the Apostle Paul. And when it came to the Apostle Paul, his own life and his reputation didn't matter. He willingly parked that whenever it came to things of uh, after his conversion, his, his life. You know, when he stood before the high priest and... and uh, he was accused and he, he responded harshly. They said, are you reviling God's high priest? And he says, my brethren, I didn't realize that that was the high priest. Some think that his eyesight was failing. That was his thorn in the flesh. So it's quite possible he didn't realize, didn't recognize who was actually speaking. And right away he stepped back because he realized that the position that that man occupied was a holy one, even if the man himself was unholy. And so he didn't try to defend himself or make excuses. He just said, I'm sorry, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. That's hard to do. But it's said, too, that if we've learned humility at the foot of the cross, then nothing really should offend us. It's true. I mean, we still get offended. (laughs) We're still human and we have our own faults and failings not that we make excuses for them but if we really have learned true humility the way that Christ was humbled where is there room to claim offense in the life of a Christian there isn't and that knowledge then gives us the strength to bear with the the infirmities of those that are weak then we can indeed be the strong brother or the strong sister that knows how to forbear, that realizes that God might be teaching that person a lesson that they need to learn, and I just need to wait. Now is not the time to set them straight. There are times for actions as well, of course. It's not that we just let everything slide. 
but a strong brother will know when to keep silent and when to speak. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded. Think about that term. We think of the God of power, the God of might, the God of justice, but no, the God of patience. The one who embodies patience and consolation. Am I an embodiment of those things? I should be. I need to be if I'm going to be a strong brother. I'm going to need to be patient. I'm going to need to know how to provide a word to provide some support at the right time. To weep with those that weep. Grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. And that's the key. The like-mindedness doesn't come around a certain thing that we agree on. One of the reasons why I like being in a small church is we're not big enough to form cliques. And that's a good thing, I think. We learn what it means to mix with people of different personalities and opinions. In a big church, it's possible to find people that are like you, and so you can get together with them, and then it's easy to be like-minded because you all agree on the same things. But really, the only like-mindedness that matters is a like-mindedness around Christ. He is the great unifier. Not doctrine, even as important as doctrine is. It's around Christ. And when we think about that, then we realize how much that means. It's not just what we teach, but how we teach it. It's not just what we say, but how we say it. It's not just what we pray, but how we pray. Our life becomes so much more when we put it, focus it, in the lens of Jesus Christ, through the lens of Jesus Christ. Because now I can realize that even though I might be doing the right thing, if I'm doing it with the wrong motives, it's for nothing. It's clanging brass, an empty noise with no significance. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That should be the aim of every Christian. Christ was able to truthfully say, I always do those things that please my Father. Now, I can't say that about my Heavenly Father or my Earthly Father. But I should be able to say it about my Heavenly Father. And where I can't, it's because part of me has not been brought into alignment with His will. But if, if we will do this together, if this is something that we can focus on, that whatever I do, especially whatever I do in the church, I want it to glorify God, think about what, what a change that would, that would bring in the way that we do things. People would be willing to do their, both, do their most, give their best, not with thought for advancement or recognition, but simply because it glorifies God. 
we would tell more people about this faith that we have. We would be more patient with one another because we would realize that in being more patient, we're glorifying God. You know, this entire picture of the New Testament church, the bringing together of the Gentiles and the Jews, it may seem like a historical footnote, but when we put it, if we were to insert ourselves into that reality, two so, so dissimilar groups being brought together in Christ, think about it in context of this, today's world. We all see the bifurcation, the, the splitting apart of society into groups. Those that, those that ascribe to a, um, a progressive or, or let's use the term woke agenda, those who want to hang on to conservative traditional values and the huge divide between those two groups. Do you realize that Christ can bring those two groups together? The church is uniquely positioned, I believe, in today's fractured world to bring people together around the person of Jesus Christ. As radical as the differences are between these, these modern groups, they're no different than the Gentiles and the Jews were back 2,000 years ago. And of that, from that dissimilar group, God was able to make a church that spanned the globe Believers who are willing to die for the cause of Christ. I don't know what the future has in store. I don't know if there will be a one more revival, maybe, before the Lord returns. But I do know it's possible. It's possible if we rally around Jesus Christ. May the Lord provide whatever was lacking to what was said, and I'd like to ask one of the brothers to select a hymn.